right, good morning. If you're able, I'm going to ask that you would remain standing as we look at our scripture for this morning. It's found in the book of James, chapter number 2. We'll look at verses 14 through 26 together this morning. The word of God to the people of God. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. Then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. That ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Good morning once again, everybody. What a blessing to see you all this morning. Thank you for being here. If you're new with us, we're excited that you're here. A special welcome to you. Thank you for choosing us this morning. We are continuing our study of the book of James today. If you missed any of it, I do want to encourage you uh, to catch up online. You can find all of the messages there. But this morning, our focus is on the end of chapter number two, where James is talking all about faith and works, or works and faith. But before we dive into that, let's take a moment and let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for this day, a holy day, a divine day. It's a day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is a day that we've never seen before and a day that we'll never see again. We ask that you help us to be the best that we can be right now in this moment. The only thing we can do, God, is apologize to you for where we may have missed it on yesterday or this morning. For that, we say that we're sorry. We're grateful, however, that you woke us up with a fresh breath, new grace, new mercies. You privileged us to have this opportunity to sit at your feet and to learn of you. And now we declare that since you are the authority in this space, move as you please. Arrest our attention, but glorify your name that we may leave differently than we came in. It's in Christ's name, all God's children said amen and amen. So now, right from the top, I want to see, see who I got in the room. How many, how many like Oreos? How many Oreo lovers? Okay, all right. I'm in good company. I'm in good company. What you may or may not have known is that MIT 
ran a test some time ago to see if it were possible to twist the Oreo wafers and separate them so that there were equal parts of cream on either side. They ran hundreds, hundreds of tests on all kinds of Oreos, twisting them at different speeds, fast, slow, and everything in between. And at the end of all of their hard work, end of all of their hard work, they came to the conclusion that it was just not possible. No matter which way you twist it, clockwise, counterclockwise, fast or slow, the cream will never split evenly on the both sides. You know why? Because they were trying to split something that was never meant to be split in the first place. Why do I bring that up? I bring that up because for centuries, the church has been running a similar test. We have debated, we have gone back and forth and forth and back about the real relationship between faith and works. Faith and works. Paul versus James. Paul said we are saved by grace through faith alone. But then what do we do with what James said? What do we do with what we just read? It's almost like he's saying something completely different, right? How can it be faith and works, as James says? That's a great question. To that, I will pose another question. What if, what if what James and Paul are saying are not directly opposed to one another? What if they are actually saying the same thing, only saying it in different ways? As we think about that, what we need to remember this morning as we jump into this text is who James is writing to. That's important. James is not writing a gospel letter. He's not writing a gospel letter. He's not trying to convince people to find Christ for the first time. Paul was, but James isn't. James is writing to a community of Christ followers. He's writing to people who have already placed their faith in Jesus, people who have already learned that they are not saved by their works. Paul is talking about faith to find Jesus while James is referring to the faith to follow Jesus. The point that James is making is that faith cannot be separated from works. And the point that I want to make in our bottom line today is this. Faith must be demonstrated, not just discussed. Faith, my faith, your faith, our faith must be demonstrated, not just discussed. So James, as he begins this portion of his letter to his church, chapter 2, verse 14, he starts off by saying, what good is it? What good is it? In verse 14, James asks two reflective questions to get his church to examine their faith. Because James wants his readers to know that it is possible for a believer to have useless faith. It's possible for a believer to have a, to have a faith that is devoid of good works. So he asks in verse 14, what good is it if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? That's an important question for us to think about this morning. What good is it? In other words, what is the quality of your faith if it doesn't produce good works? That kind of faith, one that doesn't demonstrate good works, cannot save you. 
Now, I do want to make a clarification. There are works of law and there are works of love. We talked about, James mentioned the royal law last week. There are works of law and works of love. Works of law is what Paul talks about. Those can't save you. Those can't save you. Only by grace through faith. Works of love is what James is referring to when he talks about caring for widows and for orphans and loving all people and not showing favoritism as we talked about last week. But when you think about it, this is general obedience to Christ. Living our lives according to his will and according to his way. Now, speaking of the word works, what's particularly significant for the New Testament use of this word is the Jewish emphasis on the word works. They emphasize the word works done in obedience to the Torah as necessary response to God's election of the people of Israel. Paul's works of law echoes the Jewish emphasis. But James' use of the word works is a general sense, and it refers to obedience to God, genuine faith that produces genuine works of love. Now, I need you to stay with me. The works are important. The works are important, but they are indicative of the transformation that has already taken place in the heart, in the heart. So how do we know if we possess this faith? Genuine faith, this living faith. James answers the question by first telling us what useless faith is. Then he gives us two examples of living faith. So let's look for a few moments at useless faith in James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. In this, James offers us a scenario. He offers us a scenario of a brother or sister that comes to us without food or clothing. What should we do? What should we do? He says, now, we may offer some profound theological insight, right? Assure them that God will supply their needs. We might pray with them, wish them well. So go in peace. Stay warm. But what good is it if you don't give them what they need? This is the point that James is talking about here. What good is it if you don't give them what they need? James is not disregarding the spiritual. He's simply saying, that it's, it's, it's sometimes, there are times when it's not enough. In other words, if a brother is hungry, he doesn't need a sermon, he needs a sandwich. This is the point that James is making. Don't get me wrong here. It's not that you and I have to feed every person that we come across or try to meet everybody's needs, right? That's not the point. The point here is our beliefs are demonstrated in our behavior. Our beliefs are demonstrated in our Behavior. It's just like when you are in a relationship with someone or you, get, or you get married, right? It's not enough just to say, I love you, right? At some point, the person you're in a relationship with is going to want you to show them somehow, right? Okay, do, try, try that for a week and let me know how that works for you. <laughs> just say it, but never show it. This is the point that James is trying to drive home here. I love what Sam Arbery says. He says, our words sound fine while our lack of actions shout, I don't really mean this. Our words sound fine, but our lack of action shouts, I don't really mean this. See, for you and I, our life shows what our faith is in, whether it's our work, whether it's our money, or whether it's our relationships. Our faith shows what our work is in. And so James is taking some time here to really double down on this with the people that he's writing to. 
But I love in the next few verses, 18 through 20, he talks about it in a way, he talks about it in a way that I'm referring to as faith as allegiance. Faith as allegiance. See, the ancient world used quote unquote faith to describe a subject's loyal devotion to a king. That's what they did. But see, what James is doing here is he provides, he provides arguments of a hypothetical skeptic to continue to drive his point home. He provides this argument here in verses 18 through 20. The first objection or argument he mentions is a person that disagrees with James and says that the validity of his faith is not connected to his works. He says, you have faith, I have works. God works through you how he works through you. He works through me how he works through me. But what James is saying here is that without the appropriate actions flowing from it, faith cannot be demonstrated because our faith is demonstrated through our deeds. The second argument he brings up here is the argument of a confession of faith being enough. This is why he says, for you believe that there is one God, good for you. Follows that up by saying, even the demons believe and they tremble. You've heard me say it many times in here. I can believe that this chair will hold my weight. But if I never sit in the chair as a demonstration of my trust, how good is my belief? And so James is driving the point home here that a simple affirmation of Christian truth that there is one God is not enough. Even the demons have that. Even they know. That's why they tremble. Faith in Jesus is more than believing in what he did for you. Let me say it again. Faith in Jesus is more than just believing in what he did. It's behaving in a way that reflects that belief. And this is what James is trying to get his people to understand. But when you think about it, we have, we, we have allegiances in a whole lot of things, don't we? Right? Some of us heavy allegiance in sports, right? We just had NFL draft happen. I'm not going to single you out. But we have allegiance to all kinds of things, right? I'm... I'm you know, y'all know I'm, a, I'm from New York, so I'm a New York Giants fan. I could tell you who we drafted because I have allegiance. And so we have allegiances to so many things, people, places. My wife, Jacqueline, her favorite holiday is 4th of July. Very patriotic, right? I, I, most of you know that I served in the military. Allegiance to this country. And some people are hardcore with it. I was at Harris Teeter a couple days ago. I park in the veteran spot right in front. Yes, I do. <laughs> I park in the veteran spot right in front. And there was another veteran, another veteran pulled in beside me. And as he was pulling in, he gave me one of those. Like, I see you. Hardcore. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. My point is, you have an allegiance in something. And James is driving the point home here. How much more should our allegiance to Christ be demonstrated through the way we live? Be demonstrated through good works. If we say we have an allegiance to the one who is life, the one through whom we have life, it should be demonstrated through good deeds. James wants his readers, and God wants us to examine our faith to determine the quality of our faith, not to motivate us to try to do good things to prove that. That's what Paul was talking about. Don't do that because that that's not going to save you. But James is saying, if you have genuine faith, it should be demonstrated through good deeds, through what you do. And so he gives these hypothetical arguments in verses 18 through 20 
But then in verses 21 through 26, he shows us two examples of what living faith is all about, what living faith is all about. And I love this. He starts with Abraham, who we know is a patriarch. It's called a friend of God. He's a father of the faith. Verse 21 says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, which, by the way, was not an easy thing to do. It wasn't an easy thing to do. After all, if you know the story, you know that he, he believed God for many, many years for this promise. In the movie, His Only Son, which is out now, I think it's selected, it's an amazing movie. It, it, it portrays this scene and it really does, in my opinion, a good, a good job of portraying the tension of that moment. The tension of when Abraham offered up his son Isaac. There was tears. There was confusion on the part of Isaac. If you remember the story, Isaac said, God, we, Father, we have the fire. We got the wood. But where's the, where's the sheep for the burnt offering? All kind of emotions and feelings going through Abraham as he's doing his best to be obedient to God and offer up this son that he believed God for many years for. For many years. I don't know about you, but a lot of us in this room, if you're anything like me, if we have believed God for something for that long, would have probably rebuked the very thought of offering the blessing up. But here Abraham is prepared to risk everything in obedience to God, risk everything. Verse 22 says, you see, his faith and actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. Now, I want to be clear. His actions didn't make him righteous. His actions are not what made him righteous. They demonstrated his righteousness. And this is what James is calling us to. If you say you have genuine faith, it should be demonstrated in your actions, in how you live. Because if you walk with God long enough, you know that our faith and obedience to God will call for Isaac moments. It'll call for Isaac moments. I'm living it right now. I'm living it before your very eyes. Moments where God is calling us to sacrifice something that we cherish, sacrifice something that we love in obedience to his plan. When in many cases, we don't have all the answers. We don't know what's next. We don't know what's around the corner. And this is not the first time that I've been in this situation. I'll never forget when I started coaching football in 2000. Started coaching Little League football. Coached it for three years. And up to that point in my life, nothing I had ever done had brought me that much joy. Absolutely nothing. I was doing it for three years, and I, I just, I loved it. I brought my brother on, and we were coaching together. Now, mind you, we were the bad news bears. I will be honest. We were. <laughs> we were but absolutely loved what I was doing. God said, I need you to put that down. And that was the point when God began to call me into deeper ministry. But it hurt. It was painful. I was confused. At the time, I didn't understand why. I didn't have, I didn't have a full picture of what God was doing. I didn't understand that this is what faith looks like. Faith makes demands on you and I. It calls for us to have Isaac moments, but it's through those moments that God continues to mature and complete our faith. This is why James is bringing this up. 
he also uses Rahab. It's the second example that he gives, who also risked everything. But notice that he uses a patriarch and a prostitute. Two people who couldn't be more different. A Jewish man, a Gentile woman. A rich man, a poor woman. Both showed us the same thing. Both showed us the same thing. They showed us that their genuine faith, their living faith, was demonstrated in their deep trust in God. It also tells us that it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've been through. The invitation to trust God, to live by faith, is open to all of us. Doesn't matter what your past looked like. Y'all know you have a pastor that didn't grow up in church. You know that. But he uses both of these examples of living faith to show us that, yeah, yeah, you made some mistakes. Yeah, you're broken. You've done some things that you shouldn't have done. You have some forgettable, regrettable moments. Yes, we all do. But the invitation to demonstrate a living faith is open to all of us. Here's what I need you to understand today, that if you want to understand the strength of your faith, look at what you do. If you want to understand where you are in your faith, look at what you do. See, many of us have a spiritual life, but we're spiritually sick. We have a spiritual life, but we're spiritually sick. We attend church to hear what the great physician has to say, and we leave oftentimes feeling good about his prescription, yet we remain spiritually unhealthy because we won't swallow the medicine. We won't, we won't adhere to the invitation, to the challenge. This is what James is pushing his people towards. Examine your faith. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We said, if you claim to be something, examine what, what, where that lines up in the sight of God. And this is a challenge for all of us because the truth is, once we hear God's word, we need to act on it in order to be transformed by it. That's the challenge for all of us today. If you don't take anything from my story, know that it's going to be hard. Know that it's going to be confusing. Know that everybody is not going to agree with what God is calling you to do. Understand that what God is calling you to do is going to upset some people. It's going to make some people sad. It might even make you sad. But how will we ever know that the best, safest place for us to be is the center of God's will if we never step out? How will you know that? So I'm, I'm believing God that this week he will show you what your Isaac is. He will show you. He will show you the things that you have pledged allegiance to that's keeping you from living out your faith. Because again, our bottom line today is faith must be demonstrated, not just discussed. Faith must be demonstrated, not just discussed. Fortunately, we serve a God who is always ready and open to receive us. It's who we serve. With all of our confusion, with all of our mixed emotions, he's open and ready to receive us. Question is, are we willing? 
Are we willing to step out? A couple questions for you as I close today. First question I want you to think through is, has my faith in Jesus changed the way I lived? Honestly, has my faith in Jesus, has it changed the way I live? Has it changed, has it changed my heart? So because the point that James is making is that faith should naturally lead to a transformed, renewed life, renewed way of living. The second question is this. What ways may Jesus be inviting you into deeper relationship? In other words, what could he be calling you to sacrifice so that you can get to know him better, get to love him more deeply? I don't say any of this to suggest that it's easy. You've, you've seen me cry my tears. You've seen it. But the trust comes in is when we do it, and then on the other side, we understand just how loving and just how faithful God is. When I left coaching football, little did I know I'd meet you. Little did I know God was leading me to meet you, to walk with you, to do life with you. I wonder who God is preparing you to meet. Who God is preparing you to love. As we step out on faith, those are the things that God will reveal, piece by piece. But as we go, know that he loves you. And know that he's for you. And through it all, he only wants the best for you. He only wants the best. Sometimes his best is not right here. Sometimes finding out what his best is means stepping out when you can't even see what the next step is. But I'm encouraged because no matter what steps God is calling me to take, I'm reminded of his love of his mercy, and of his grace. And if it feels that way for me, it feels that way about you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your love and your mercy towards us. We're grateful that though you invite us, call us into moments that might be fearful, that might be scary, that might be confusing, Help us to remember that you're always with us. Help us to remember that you love us and you only want the best for us. So Father, I pray that you would help us to lay down everything. Stand as an idol in our life. Help us to lay down the things that for far too long have been hindrances for us experiencing you more fully. Things that have been hindrances from us living out, demonstrating our faith to a lost and a dying world. And God, as we continue to step out, pray that you give us the courage. 
pray that you give us the boldness. Pray that you give us the trust. And help us to know that no matter where you lead us, the best is always yet to come. We're grateful for your love, grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.